You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the fabulous Feinstein's 54 Below. Before we get started this evening, just a polite reminder please take this moment to silence your cell phones. Also, there is no flash photography, please. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Fine Science 54 Below podcast. I'm Nella Vera, your host. I'm the club's marketing director. As many of you know, like the rest of our industry, we've been on hiatus since March when the club closed due to the pandemic. But recently, we've launched a streaming series that we're super, super excited about called 54 Below Premieres. And this series is unlike anything that we've ever done here. We've hired a four-camera crew who've captured some of our concerts in the most beautiful way possible. And these HD concerts are now available for a limited time. And we hope that they will bring 54 Below to you into your home and also bring you a little bit of joy during this holiday period. So visit 54below.com and take a look at the schedule and you can buy tickets there as well. 54 Below premieres began on December 12th with the amazing Broadway Princess Holiday Party. It's actually a special edition of the hit show that we've hosted many times, Broadway Princess Party. And today I'm so thrilled to announce that we're restarting this podcast and our very first guests are the incredible cast of this fantastic show. So I'm going to go ahead and introduce them one by one. You're going to hear a little bit talking from me before we get to our guests, but I want everybody to understand the staggering amount of talent that we have here today. So first, she is a Tony nominee known for her work in shows such as Grease, South Pacific, Bonnie and Clyde, Bandstand, and of course, Cinderella. She recently starred in the Hallmark Christmas movie, One Royal Holiday. She's the one we all want. Welcome, Laura Osnes. Hi, Nella. Thank you so much for having us. We're so excited to be here. Next up, this Tony-nominated beauty has been seen in shows such as Thoroughly Modern Millie, Cabaret, Triumph of Love, and was also the voice of Megara in the animated film Hercules. She is a Broadway icon for having originated the role of Belle in Disney's Beauty and the Beast. Susan Egan, please be our guest on the Fine Science 54 Below podcast. <laughs> I see what you did there, Nella. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> our next guest appeared on Broadway in Mamma Mia and On the Heights, but is well known and beloved to theater audiences who know her as the original Princess Jasmine in Disney's Aladdin. It's a whole new world on this podcast with Grammy nominee, Courtney Reed. Hi, Courtney. Hey, Nella. Love the <laughs> intro. It's amazing. <laughs> Three amazing princesses need a handsome prince, and today's guest more than fits that bill. Adam J. Levy has been in shows such as Fiddler on the Roof, The Light in the Piazza, A Chorus Line, and most recently, Waitress. Welcome, Prince Adam. Thank you, Princess Nella. Happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> I so want to be a princess. Oh my God. And finally, 
our last but certainly not least guest. He most recently worked on Broadway on the music teams for Fiddler on the Roof and American Psycho, as well as serving as concert musical director for artists such as Jeremy Jordan, Kyle Dean Massey, Krista Rodriguez, and Jennifer Damiano. He is an original programming producer here at Feinstein's 54 Below, where he has produced dozens of sold-out shows. He's a musical director extraordinaire and fairy god fairy, Benjamin Rahala. Hi, Ben. Hi, Mila. Hi. I'm so glad we get to do this together today. Before we start on show topics, I just want you to tell us all, how are you doing? So for our guests who may be listening to this later, we're taping this nine months into the shutdown of our industry. How's everybody doing? Great. Well, <laughs> right. I was like, I'll go. Um, you know, I typically this time of year, I'm the first person to go home to my parents' house. And so part about being December feels good. And it feels like I should be home with my parents and having a good time. And I think we're at a great turning point where we're all starting to see a little bit of hope about the vaccine and about the future of where we're headed. And so the girls and I are on the phone every day trying to figure out what our next plans are. And it really feels like we're close to being on the verge of something. So I'm feeling pretty good lately. Yeah, always well said, Bench. I have to say that as difficult as it has been to not be performing and to desperately miss singing with these ladies and working with Benji in person, having some time away from traveling and, and family time, I've, I've really been grateful for that. And it's given us an opportunity, which we've never had as a company, to really create and do some prep work for our next set of, of concerts. We've always been running a million miles a minute, and um, we have some really exciting things in store. And it's been fun creating that, uh, you know, just through our Zoom chats. Yeah, the, the show that, that you guys have put on for us is just so, so special and even more so right now when we can't gather. And I have to say that so many people are reaching out to us and telling us how much the show has meant to them and how it's lifted them up. It's such a gift. Can you talk about how you decided to put on a show in the middle of a shutdown and what brought about you know the final decision to do it or had it always been planned and you just transitioned to online? I think we were so excited for the opportunity to come back to 54 Below. That's our home. We really got to come home for the holidays and uh, record our our holiday concert there. So I think we've been grateful to be able to do a couple virtual events throughout this pandemic and learn to really pivot because I think the world needs these iconic songs right now. They need the cheer and they need the arts and the music just as kind of an escape and as an inspiration. And so so I think we, we left at the opportunity to be able to be together for us and to get to create that music and get to perform and do what we love, but also to get to give that to our fans who have been patiently waiting and still supporting us through this. Yeah, it's been, it's just the feedback has been fantastic. How did the project even start? Like what was the genesis and who, who thought this whole thing up <laughs> and then who brought whom Benji? Ben. <laughs> Go for it, Ben. I did. You know, way back in the day, I had just been hired as an original programming producer at, at Feinstein's 54 Below. Uh, they'd just gone through the name change. Hey. And, um, and I was coming up with concert ideas and I was in Disney World with Jeremy Jordan the week before we did that Celine Dion show. And <laughs> I was feeling in a particular princess mood. He and I had also been on a Disney cruise where I'd gone to... Uh, princess tea party and like watched a bunch of little girls have tea with the different Disney princesses and learn how to wave like a princess and such. And I was like, wouldn't that be rich if I did a concert 
that was, you know, all of our best girlfriends kind of playing dress up and singing these like princess songs. And I had written down on the flight from Florida, I wrote Broadway Princess Party, Laura Austin's question mark. And about <laughs> six weeks later, she came to my birthday party and uh, and I, I was brave enough, aka I had had just enough of a, a liquid courage to say, what do you think of this idea? <laughs> a few months later, you know, I get to call her and be like, okay, we, I have a date. What do you think? And two hours later, she sent me a spreadsheet. It was all of our best girlfriends' faces next to the head, like um, next to what princess <laughs> they would be cast as. And it was like the perfectly chosen headshot with the perfectly chosen picture of the princess. And that first concert was born. And it became this beautiful expression of women supporting women. And we thought it was going to be campy and silly. And it actually meant a lot to us. And we expanded and we grew. And by the time that we had a little bit of a reputation, we got to call fancy people like Susan Egan to come be our guest. Eh? See what I did there? <laughs> and, and three years ago, actually, I think three years ago yesterday, we had our very first touring concert um, at the Sagerstrom oh Center gosh. for the Arts. Yeah, happy nice. anniversary, friends. Uh, oh, and I will be remiss to say Courtney's been with us since that first one. But um, Adam's first princess party, our Prince Adam, uh, was that show three years ago yesterday. That was a magical synergy between the five of us. You know, it was Adam was like perfectly interrelated with the other girls and it was actually meeting Laura that day, but it feels like forever. And it became about these three iconic princesses, you know, these women who have played these amazing roles and they're on your albums. They're together and they're celebrating this music with their little gay friend and their amazing prince. And um, we've been doing it like that ever since inseparable ever since yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh yes and the show's a lot of fun on stage but I have to say there, there's a show that's happening backstage that is just as much fun <laughs> so I want to talk about music um, one thing that everybody comments on is the incredible sound and the gorgeous voices but also how each voice complements each other and how they fit together to become this incredible one unit how did that sound come about? It was, it was a, kind of a blind accident, you know, that we ended up as the three of us when we were out in Sagerstrom. But what's amazing is these three girls, as much as people try to be like, they have, they all have the perfect princess voice, but it means completely different things on the three of them. And mm -hmm. so, you know, we've all, we've made new arrangements over the years too, but we've gotten to know each other's voices so well that we know on this type of song, it's going to work really well if Courtney's on that high thing and Laura's giving alto and Susan's right in the middle because she's going to carry the melody beautifully. But depending on what song it is, um, we just switch the girls' sounds around a lot. And it's, uh, I'm very lucky that all of them are very flexible in their instruments, but also they have great ears and they blend and listen to each other so well. Sometimes you'll find they'll be singing a song and their vibrato matches speeds exactly, their vowels match speeds exactly. Um, and that, we were pretty good at that at the beginning, but over the past three years, we definitely know each other's voices so well now that the girls blend instinctively so beautifully. They're all so smart. He's Aww, not quite giving himself enough credit because Benji definitely directs us, but it's to the point now where we all know each other so well that we actually now know what Benji's direction is going to be. And so we can look at each other and know when to straight tone and when to hit vibrato together because we just see Benji in our head with how he directs us. Um, but he definitely rehearses stuff and he, he makes our harmonies so tight. And it's such a pleasure just as an artist to get to work on these arrangements and to get to sing with these ladies. Right. We've been singing together now for three years straight. So I, I hope, I would hope that we sound great. <laughs> <laughs> it's, but it really is always kind of shocking every time we learn new material and we sit at the piano with Benj and we learn it and we sing through it the first time. And it's always so shocking to me at how well it sounds. I'm like, oh yeah, I forget. Like, 
these ladies are pros. Like these ladies are the best of the best and I get to sing with them. It feels it feels so great every time. Exactly. I feel the oh same my gosh. way. I had a really emotional moment in September. We got together in Nashville to rehearse some new material. And we did a Zoom concert that first night. Laura literally came in the door and we sound checked. And we started playing songs. <laughs> and we hadn't played live together in over six months. And wow. we started singing a song and we finished. I was like, oh, we're they're, 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 we're really good. I didn't know. It's like, you know, you step, you're so used to it after at that point, two and a half years of doing it every week. And I was like, oh my gosh, what these girls do together, what we all do together is so special. And I mean, I know that's really narcissistic of me, but it was just after not doing it forever, I was like, oh, that's why people like us. <laughs> we still got it. Still got it. My favorite thing in the concert, to be honest, are not my solos. It's always the trios with everybody. Um, I love the blend. And and Benji is keeping our voices super healthy. We do switch off from singing alto and middle and soprano. So I want to ask each of you, because, because Broadway Princess Party is now an enterprise, what are your roles in each, you know, in, in the business? I'm sure you each have a role to play in, in, in creating the business, right? It was really interesting because Susan is, when Suze came on board, she is the one with a brilliant business mind. And she's the one who kind of was like, we should turn this into an LLC. I have a vision of like a merchandise line and all of that. So that was super exciting. And we kind of all came on board and have learned a lot about that side, I think, of the industry and of getting to create and do this concert together. But I feel like, yeah, Susan's like brilliant kind of financial brain and, you know, building this thing to become something bigger than what Ben and I maybe had initially thought it was going to be. And then Courtney is like the dream, like fashionista, uh, helps run merch and runs the store and has brilliant ideas with that. Aww, I kind of help more. with social media. And then we all help write the script together and rehearse. And Benji obviously does all the arrangements and um, it's good. We all just kind of pick up slack where things are are needed. And we have business meetings. Now we're doing them weekly because we have kind of a lot in development, but we go through phases of working together and kind of taking the lead on on various things. Adam, are you still there? Oh, I'm here. Oh That's right. I'm sorry. <laughs> the show and the company have grown in the last three years. And as it's grown, we wrap up certain elements and that job is sort of finished and then new jobs appear. And as we have gotten to know each other more and each other's strengths, we really played them. And I have to say, it's miraculous how well-rounded we are as a group. And I think Benji's got a great business mind as well, but his music is uncanny, of course. Laura understands the brand. She understands, she keeps us on point, on Princess. And, mm-hmm. and the kindness and the message that we want this company to project. And she is the queen of the magical language on socials. She has such good insight on how social media works, when to post, all that good stuff. As she said, Courtney's brilliant of, of um, all the merchandise and keeping us kind of hip and cool. And I think the wonderful thing has been Adam came on in that Seagerstrom concert as our prince and is just the most entrepreneurial spirit I've ever met. And he has is now basically our tour manager. He books everything. He keeps us on schedule. He keeps us in line. He books all the travel. He makes sure everything is, is going to run smoothly with each venue. And I'm telling you, because I was doing that job, it's the hardest job. He's talking to front of house. He's talking to the venue. He's talking to all of us. He's making sure the travel coordinates. It's just a jigsaw puzzle. And he's a master at it. He takes care of all of us so beautifully. 
Actual Prince Charming IRL. (laughs) It was born out of necessity. I mean, one of the beautiful parts of being backstage as a prince in a princess party is that I get to sip espresso for hours on end while these women and Ben work tirelessly to piece this show together. And people started coming backstage and looking for someone to sort of answer the the big questions while the girls and Ben were busy. And I just thought, I feel like I should just take this on. It makes the most sense. And can I just say, there have been times where he has been Prince Charming, and then he's also been steaming the dresses and also oh. running the lights and sound. Yes. Yes. Wow. <laughs> he wears all the hats and fills every void. He is incredible. That's incredible. <laughs> he is. He's the youngest of all of us, but he is actually our caretaker. It does take a real strong man to not be intimidated and to take such good care of such strong ladies, you know. Oh, oh my gosh. So, no, really. I mean, we, you know, we, it's, it's girl power and girl uh, support system up there when you, when you look at the show. And then when you see these two men there who are there just to both to be in the spotlight, but also to support and not to try to be intimidated by women, it's, it's incredible. You know, that's, that's something that we love because everybody loves the princess party. We have men, women, boys, girls, and it's great that it's not just three women. And that's such a fantastic message. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. For all three of the princesses, you guys have been on Broadway portraying these princesses that are super strong and independent and not your typical damsels in distress. How did it feel when you read the scripts and you discovered that this was the case? And was that important to you when you accepted the parts? I think for me with Beauty and the Beast, it was Disney's first foray into the Broadway world. And I, of course, loved the script and credit um, Linda Wolverton, who wrote both the Oscar-nominated film and this script. She is Belle. She is this feisty, bright, cerebral, funny woman. And she's at the center of the story. And so I felt like I had not only great writing, but an amazing role model at my disposal to ask her questions, to expand this character from the 90-minute movie to this two-and-a-half-hour play, and and give this character even more opportunity to kind of be a little feistier than, you know, the, the old-fashioned kind of, of princess. So yes, it definitely appealed to me, and I'm so grateful that there were some pretty powerful women involved in the process. I was very excited that Cinderella was completely rewritten. We had a brand new script by Douglas Carter Bean. And in this version, Cinderella got to choose her own fate. She didn't just happenstance lose her slipper on the stair. She actually 
thought of the idea in the moment saying, the prince can find me if I leave him my shoe. She takes her own slipper off and runs it back. I hope I'm not ruining anything. Um, but people <laughs> who saw, saw our production, you know, knew that. And then she's, you know, but she's still, you know, known throughout the land for her charity, generosity, and kindness, her big imagination. Um, but she's also very forward thinking and she she helps save the prince in the way where, where she doesn't feel like she's the one that needs saving. She's kind of the one that challenges him to step up to the plate and become the rightful leader he needs to be. And then she gets very involved in the town and is, you know, speaking out about like justice and instills a vote to like overthrow the prime minister. So yeah, she gets, she, she has a lot going for her for sure. I loved it. Yeah, it was pretty surprising when I saw it. I could not believe it. I thought, oh, this is, you know, for everybody, not just for a young audience. It was smart and witty and very Absolutely. modern. Absolutely. Yeah. Courtney, how did you feel playing Jasmine? I mean, she's the ultimate independent, adventurous princess, and she's in a patriarchal society, and yet she's a, a heroine. Yeah, totally, Nella. Um, you, you nailed it, basically. Well, what's interesting about Jasmine is that Aladdin is one of the only Disney's princess films that has an iconic princess in it that it's not actually about. It's about Aladdin. It's about the street rat. But everything he does is to try to get the girl, which I think is really fun for Jasmine. One of my struggles with the reading the script was that I felt like, and in the film as well, that she's kind of underdeveloped. And I think they've developed her more for the musical but there was a moment actually at the end of the show where she she decides to yes another spoiler alert Laura um but she <laughs> decides to go with the prince right with with the street rat then then he becomes a prince and a friend a castmate of mine Nikki Womack came up to me and she's like don't you think it's kind of strange that she fights for independence this whole time and she just like then just marries the dude. There's got to be a line or something that they can put in at the end. So it's not like, oh, and now she gets married and she finds the guy. And so I brought this up to Chad Beglin, who was our book writer. And he said, you know what? I'm going to have the Sultan say, and, and he will rule beside her and, and talks about how basically they will rule like hand in hand next to each other. And then the live action film actually took it another step further another spoiler alert and she becomes the sultan doesn't she bench yeah that's true she takes it all the way she, she takes it Hillary all the way Clinton's up. <laughs> right. yeah. so what's interesting is that the original animated film in 1992 did such a good job with making her this strong and independent female but then the musical took it a next a, a, the next level up and then all of a sudden hillary clinton did in the live action but um it's it was nice to be able to have that kind of dialogue with the creatives in order for them to to make her a little bit more of an equal that's amazing amazing and then i'm going to go back to susan and i'll ask all three of you this question but how do you balance bring yourself to such iconic parts that are beloved by hundreds of millions of people around the world. And I just have to say, Susan, when I was a young marketeer, I was working on Beauty and the Beast on the opening in the marketing department and then during, during the day. And then at night, I was selling souvenirs at the palace. So over the course of a year and a half, I saw Beauty and the Beast every night that I worked. And your voice is always in my head as a result of that. But what was amazing about your performance and all three of your performances is that you are so loyal to the spirit of the part, but yet they're still you and you're bringing your, your interpretation of the part. But how do you balance that? 
That is such a good question. And first of all, oh my gosh, Nella, that's amazing that you were there. <laughs> Do you remember those magic mirrors that they sold only for the first month of the show? Yes. Do you remember those? They went, oh they went, God. show me the beast, ching. And so all the kids would buy them at intermission. And then all during act two, all you could hear through act two yes. was show me the beast, ching. And then finally, like <laughs> Disney's like, we, we shouldn't be selling those. And we're like, that's right. <laughs> Correct. So, um, I totally remember the day we stopped selling them and they wouldn't they wouldn't let us sell any um stuffed animals until they finally caved after enough people were asking for beasts but that was oh, you know Lord. almost a year into the run they Isn't that wanted funny? it classy and now when you know when i go to all the broadway shows i see all the stuffed animals everywhere yes no it's because yeah. of you it's because you fought that battle i'm so proud um <laughs> So I was really fortunate uh, to have just great leadership um, within the play, to have mentors like Gary Beach and Terrence Mann, Beth Fowler, who um, also took these iconic characters, but brought more to them than what was just in the movie, because you think there's an hour more material. So you really have an opportunity to originate a large aspect of the show. I also think it, it it stems for me anyway from just the bliss of being an ignorant youth. Of course I should have been intimidated. That movie is iconic, but it just didn't occur to me to be because I was only 23 and I was just doing my thing. But they they embraced new ideas. You know, there was a new scene written when Gaston proposes to Belle and it was um, elongated into a song. And so we got to bring more comedy to it and, you know, raise our hand in rehearsal and say, hey, can we try it this way? Can we try it that way? And so it innately brought more of our individual selves into the characters while still, as you say, hopefully staying true to what everybody loved about the film. But that's not always the case. Sometimes there are directors who just want you to stand here and say it like this and scoop on this note. And that just was not our, our experience at Beauty and the Beast. So I was really lucky. Yeah, because you want to still give people what they came for, but you don't want to be a, a copy of the film either. Which is yeah, you don't want to betray you don't want to betray their their memory and their love, but you also want to take this character that is beloved that they do love, and you want to introduce them to more aspects of that character. And I think Disney does that really well. And Rodgers and Hammerstein did it beautifully in in the revival that Laura did. Well, it wasn't a revival; it was an original musical. <laughs> and I think that's a testament to musical theater and the collaborative process that exists in musical theater, I think, even more than any other uh, platform for, for performers. Great, great. Laura? Yeah, so well said, Susan. I'm bouncing off a lot of the same things where I feel like I was surrounded by an incredible cast, and our job was to bring truth to what was on the page. And it also, Cinderella did also feel like an original musical. It was the first time the show had been done on Broadway. We had a completely new book. And Unlike with Susan, our, we were Rodgers and Hammerstein Cinderella. So we didn't actually didn't have the Disney brand and weren't that Cinderella that everyone maybe has in their in their mind of what they're coming to see. And I think there are always going to be people who want Cinderella to be blonde and to have a blue dress at the ball. And occasionally I got flack for not having those things. Um, but at the end of the day, if you're if you're truthful to what's there, and then you are able to open your heart to go on a slightly different journey, which this Cinderella told and got to go on, then hopefully we exceed those expectations or at least, you know, meet them in different ways um, with, if they, if they come with an open heart and are, are willing to just kind of 
go on a new Cinderella adventure with us. But it is it is big shoes to fill, and it's you know it's it's always our balance of meeting those expectations, but also making these roles our own and trusting that I was cast for a reason, and I'm going to bring um, you know the best of me and what I have to offer, um, and be truthful to who this who this woman is. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Courtney, were you nervous about playing such an iconic character? Oh my gosh, I was terrified. I was shaking in my boots. And that's the thing is like, I'm, I'm echoing what the other two ladies have said about um, expectations are always so high with Disney or iconic roles like Cinderella, even though, you know, it wasn't Disney lore, but you were saying um, right. it is the first time that they did it. And so you're, the guinea pigs are always the ones that get it the hardest, you know, um, that's always really tough, but I think it's impossible not to bring a part of you to almost every character that you play. And that is one thing that I have learned throughout my career is that, you know, I'm usually never cast in something that is so far from who I am in real life. And so that bringing myself to Jasmine wasn't difficult, but in the same way that Susan says, you have to kind of honor what the iconic, the, the the folks that have done it before you, the people that have come and paved the way before you. So uh, Linda Larkin, some of her line reads were so ingrained in me that it was impossible not to say them. It's like, hey, if it ain't broke, you know, like don't <laughs> fix it. It's it's amazing. But you will always innately bring a part of you to it. And like Laura was saying, it is the, mo the most important to bring truth to it, especially for characters that are animated because people will go into the theater thinking, and assuming, oh, this is going to be like the Disney Park show and you're, it's going to be larger than life. And what people resonate the most with is authenticity and when, when the person is portraying a role and it's truthful and honest. And so that I also tried very hard to do. Yeah, fantastic. Princesses and Disney are about magic. And I want to ask each of you about a moment of magic in each of your shows, because in the theater, so many people work hard to create on stage magic. So I would love to just have you go back to that moment and tell us what that felt like or how you approached it. And I, the question also applies to Adam. So I'm going to ask all four of you, Laura, the dress, <laughs> tell <laughs> us about the first time you saw it. What did you think the first time you put it on? What was your reaction? Well, it's not something you can just put on because it has to happen to you, right? So like the, I remember the first time the like white transformation dress happened, it was a tech rehearsal with just me and my dresser and William Ivy Long, our costume designer. Cause you don't, you don't try on a transformation at the costume shop. Like you try on the parts of it and then you actually have to tech it. You have to figure out how in the world it's going to work. Um, Cause the transformation in the show was actually like a two part process. A lot of people have seen the Tony Awards performance and think that that's what we did every night on, on stage, which we actually didn't. Uh, William designed a completely new dress just for the Tony performance. So what happened at night was, you know, I essentially like pulled a pin and revealed like a white like nightgown. And then I ran over to the tree and the tree gave me a hug and I walked away with the ball gown on. And so it was like a two-step thing. And I, you know, it took a lot of finessing and trying to figure out how to make it look like it was happening to me instead of 
you know, I was the one um, making it all work, but it was magical. It was amazing to get the opportunity to work out those kinks and, and be the bearer of William Ivy Long's genius and, uh, you know, get to do those magical transformations every night. It was some of my favorite moments of the show was just hearing the audience gasp because people came back time and time again to try to figure out how it worked because William wanted the magic to happen before your very eyes. Like he didn't want blackouts or body doubles or, you know, we weren't relying on technology or fireworks. It was literally snaps and Velcro and old school stage magic that you could see it as it happened. And I, I, he won the Tony award for it. So yeah, Yeah. it was pretty, pretty special. Theater people are incredible. Susan, tell us about the beast transformation, (laughs) because I know that the beast gets all the credit, but you were also part of that choreography that make it made it happen. Could yes. you hear like the audience gasping when it happened? Yes, first uh, of all, it was it was so fun to figure out the transformation. First of all, it was a David Copperfield effect that Disney negotiated for. We all had to sign waivers that we would never reveal how it happened. But I, you were the first one in 27 years to say, I, I know it's not all the beast. No, like Belle is the janitorial crew of that effect. <laughs> Terry's flying in the air. And yes, like the blood rushes to his head because he's going upside down like 40 times. But I'm the one who has to clean up all the mess that's happening underneath him while the spotlight is on him and everybody's looking at him. Um, And so you have to do it in a way that doesn't pull focus and figure it out. But I have to say it was genius. And I would have people after the show saying, well, I know how they did it. I'm like, oh, really? Well, how do you know? They said, well, I saw the strings. And I'm laughing because there were no strings. There were no wires. That is not how it happened. So it would just make me laugh. People really were confounded. And it was a combination of an amazing effect and amazing lighting that all these Vera lights just at, in one second did a 360 degree rotation at the perfect moment in the music and the perfect height of where Terry was on the rig. And in that split second where the light is shining in the audience's eyes is when everything happened all at once. Wow. <laughs> and I would have to like, I would scramble and then have to get right back to where I had been when their eyes adjusted again to the stage being lit. Um, it was just, we had this one second to get everything done while they were temporarily blinded. It was kind of genius. Incredible. I was there one night when I guess the rig wasn't working and he oh, just stood there it and was it was like a cape. It was so bad. Yes, it was like a Bella Lewitsky um, (laughs) modern dance of embarrassment. Yes, it It was was really interesting after watching so many times. And then the one time it didn't work was like, oh, yeah, you should have been Um, in my point of view where you could see the audience's faces and it just looked like a moment from springtime for Hitler, just like jaws on the ground wondering, that's what we paid all this money to see. And we're like, "Mm, sorry, it was still wonderful. Um, Courtney, the magic carpet ride. Because I was terrified watching and you looked so chill and cool and I couldn't see harnesses or or wires and you're up there singing and the thing is going up and moving. Was that scary? (laughs) It actually wasn't scary. What's odd is that when you have somebody there, it's like when you're riding um, a roller coaster or something and somebody's sitting next to you and you're like, at least you're there and we can die together. Like. (laughs) That's kind of how I felt like I'm like, Adam, Adam Jacobs is there 
if we're going down, he's going down with me. So I, I feel safe. No, but honestly, it wasn't that terrifying. It was more magical. And what's so funny, actually, in Toronto, they reviewed us and they were like, Courtney looks terrified and she looks scared. And I'm like, I was looking like surprised that I'm taking off on a magic, literal magic <laughs> carpet. Like, what do you want from me? Like, what am I supposed to do? Act like this was a casual everyday occurrence? Like, of course, like I'm acting shocked and surprised and like a little bit scared. But no, I never really was scared. And people were like, what does it feel like? I'm like, oddly, it feels like the same as everything else I do in life because I do it eight shows a week. But my favorite thing in life was looking out and seeing the faces of the audience. And in fact, every year we would do an autism-friendly performance. And that was my favorite show for many reasons. But one of the reasons why is that the house lights have to be up a certain percentage for the autism-friendly yes. performance. And so every time during Whole New World, I could see everyone's faces during that particular performance. And I have to say, like, just looking at everyone in awe it's just the most satisfying thing. It was probably one of my favorite memories of all time doing that show. Oh, that yeah. is so sweet, Court. I've never heard that story. I love it. Oh. And Adam, the magic and waitress, the smells of the pie, <laughs> when you come into the, just, it takes you to that place and gets you out of your head. And now you're in, in that shop. How, you know, what was, did they do that on the tour also? It's true. It's true. They did do it on the tour. I think they wow. expertly captured the essence of the show for the audience before the downbeat. For me, I'll say the magic really started when the music started every night and I was waiting in the wings to go on. I think that touring, and we know this from BPP, is an amazing thing and it's a really challenging thing. And this is true for, you know, when Ben begins playing the opening bars for BPP and true for Waitress, that when that music starts, the overture starts, it's just a beautiful reminder of, okay, we're centered, we're together, and we get to do this. And I think that Waitress absolutely captured the magic, not only for the audience, but I certainly felt it um, waiting to go on. Amazing. Aww. You guys, I miss theater so much. I know oh, it. The last, the last question, Benjamin, Broadway Princess Party in general, the brand has been so successful. And it seems to me that your generation of artists are making their own opportunities. They are not waiting for people to give them roles. You know, millennials, we know, have always been very entrepreneurial. What advice do you want to give to young artists about taking hold of your own careers and what would you say to them as somebody who's had a success like yours? Yeah, I would say don't be afraid to make your own thing. I've, you know, if people don't want to see you as like a Broadway music director or as a, as a leading man or this or that, make your own thing. You know, I think about Ariana DeBose a lot and uh, she and I have been working together for seven years now. She was in a featured ensemble part in Bring It On and then she was in the ensemble basically of Motown and covering and we started doing her concerts together and she eventually got to the point where she said, you know what, I'm not going to understand anymore. I'm going to do this. She was very, she taught me know your own worth and don't accept discounts. And I'll say that like I started, I didn't have a lot of money, but I knew that I could, I made a lot of friends and I befriended singers and I said hi to people who inspired me and I made my own team of people and started doing my own thing. 
you don't need to wait for somebody's permission to create. And the fact is that once that energy is going, you know, Laura and I did Broadway Princess Party August of 2015 and September of 2015, partially because Laura gave me a recommendation, also because my energy was better. I started on Fiddler on the Roof on Broadway. And so you find that um, you are in control of the energy you put in the universe. And so, yeah, don't be afraid to make your own thing. That's what would be my advice would be because the only person saying no to you is you really when it comes to that. Well, so good. Thank that you. was thank so you. great. Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, with that, I'm going to say goodbye to this amazing group. Laura, Susan, Courtney, Adam, Benjamin, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Broadway Princess Holiday Party is currently available on demand through December 26th. Visit 54below.com slash princess for more information. Thank you all for joining me today. And, Thank you, uh, Nella. Hope to see you soon. Thank, Thank you, Nella, Nella for everything. You've been listening to the Fine Science 54 Below podcast, part of the Broadway Podcast Network. Subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.